0: Welcome to Owning the Future Podcast, brought to you by Centerprising Studios. I'm your host, Florence Sai. In this series, we show you how to have fun, make money, do good, and have great stories to tell. Basically, how to play and create wealth 21st century style. Today, our guest is Todd Thaxton. He's a senior development officer who has worked with leading universities, USC, UCLA, and the Columbia Energy Center. He will be sharing with us how he got interested in development and what makes him successful, as part of our exploration of the theme. How did you get here? Enjoy. Okay. Hi, Todd. Thank you so much for joining us in the Enterprising podcast. Today, we love to you know, learn a little bit more about what you're doing and um, what you have been making you really, really successful as a fundraiser for uh, universities and foundations. So welcome and thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, it's great to be here.
0: Wonderful. So to start out, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you do right now so that we can all learn from what you're you're doing.
1: Great, great. Well, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, Well, part of what I'm doing is essentially building a number of different enterprises, and I feel like I've almost been preparing my entire life to be able to do what I'm doing now. I am a co-founder of a company that advises and works with uh, family enterprises. We're building a community platform that helps families think about their ecosystem of members and so that every family has wealth creators that will sustain and even grow the family wealth. And as we know, that's you may be aware uh, because of what you do, but um, the third generation curse is, uh, is, is something that's very real. A lot of family wealth does not sustain past the third generation. And we've done a lot of research and we're tra- we are looking to really uh, address this problem through this business, so it's a very exciting it's a very exciting role it's a very exciting company, and I think it really meets uh, a market need
0: yes, indeed, so I completely see that the third generation curse is um a big issue, and that um you know it's something that is important to address. It doesn't seem like there's some um, systematic offerings that addresses this in the market, so that's really wonderful, and we'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Um, but first, could you maybe bring us back to you know, the very beginning? Like how did you, you, know, what's your journey to get to here, and what are some of the steps that, and the exciting things that you may have done to um, get you to where you are today, You know, starting this exciting company?
1: Well, so I almost feel like, um, I set out on a journey, but the journey actually found me. (laughs) I, uh, I don't, (laughs) I don't feel that I was, um, it, it really started. I was in college at USC and I love movies. Uh, Movies are one of my passions. So I actually didn't even think about what career I would have, but I knew I had a passion for film and applied to the film school and got in and it's such an incredible program that I think is ranked number one in the world and it just has you know has great alumni George Lucas and all these other yes. types of filmmakers that I, I love and so um, soon after I realized that uh, while I had a passion for movies I didn't have a passion for film writing, um, I took a lot of production classes and yes. what was interesting was I got to see firsthand how films get put together. And the role of a producer is actually almost like a startup founder. Every movie is a startup. You have a concept, uh, you get alignment on the creative concept and you get the right people, you get the writers, you start with your talent and then you start recruiting your cast and all these other pieces. And the producer is almost like a conductor in an orchestra is really keeping everybody it's doing the business side of it, but also more importantly than that, keeping everybody highly motivated, engaged and managing that creative flow. So there are times when the writer needs to redo or you have to get a new writing team for a play or a screenplay.
0: Yes. And you have to
1: kind of and people are very, uh, they own their creativity. So to, to have those conversations is not easy. But through my classes, I saw how people did it. The, the way the classes were structured is we just, they were structured as conversations. There really was not um, a type of curriculum, but we had people come in and just had conversations. There were small classes. So it really kind of got me to think about, um, about that topic, how to keep creativity at the highest level. And that sort of has been a common thread in the different things that I've done. I um, then had an internship in D.C. because I'm also fascinated by politics. And I found that I had a real kind of passion for raising money. And I ended up doing a very successful run of raising capital and simply calling a lot of billionaires and, and their families and, people that work with very wealthy donors and, uh, and talking about um, how they could attend an event or host an event. And I found that I had a real kind of, almost like a natural talent for for having those conversations. And that really is what launched my career in fundraising and in doing some work in private equity, and which has all stemmed from really being able to have conversations with people that are capable have the capital to deploy to get things done whether it's for philanthropy to support research to launch a startup and that's sort of what kind of has led me to this and i really don't think i ever had a plan that i was going to do that but um i also had it maybe the slight problem of having a lot of interest um, you know i also majored in i was pre-med i love science but in a way having so many interests in arts and sciences and physics chemistry biology in all of these things and medicine has been really helpful for me because um, I've been able to have conversations with a lot of different people about a lot of different things and, and reading and um, I'm a natural I love I love learning and I've pursued a lot of different degrees because I, I love that um, the intellectual challenge and And so I, um, so yeah, it's kind of been, that's kind of been my journey.
0: (laughs) So it sounds like, um, you have had such a, you know, wide variety of experiences and isn't necessarily a specific path. Do you sort of, uh, use as your guideposts to make your decisions? to go from one stage to the other or one job or context to the other. I mean, it's so fascinating that you started with film and then you know you had internships and politics and then you're doing fundraising.
1: Well, I know I've always loved being around highly creative and even smarter people. Um, I never felt like I needed to be the smartest person in the room. And so for me, working with Nobel prize, you know, I've worked with scientists that are, um, that are one of them, for instance, ended up getting the Nobel prize in chemistry, um, and other really prestigious national Academy of sciences, people, and, and even people in the business world. And my current business partner is just brilliant as well. So I've, I really have gravitated and I guess I have a natural attraction for people that are at the highest level in whatever it is that they do. And, and I think that perhaps has maybe been a bigger guidepost than anything else. Um, and maybe through that, I, I feel I have gone in so many different directions. And that's why my career has spanned from, you know, working in a major public uh, landmark university like UC San Diego and then going on to USC and work in a central capacity where I worked pretty closely with the university trustees and faculty. And then um, then I wanted to pursue a additional education, went to Columbia University, ended up at UCLA soon after launching the Grand Challenges, and then at the Columbia Energy Center. Um, and then after that, I. Um, I had earned my MBA and I've done a public policy degree because I believe in this convergence of fields and the necessity to know a lot about a, a lot of different things and know when and where to bring the right people and experts in. And so, um, I think that's sort of what launched my interest in entrepreneurship and, I've always worked in entrepreneurial types of initiatives within large organizations. But then I started dabbling into real estate and investments. And that sort of, I guess, guided my path to continue to do that. And now um, I'm co-launching, co-founding this company, which is really exciting because we're getting to write the business and, and really almost identify a market and and really create opportunities for people to be engaged and, and really thinking about what it is that's been happening over the last five years in the business world and globally. And then what more importantly, what's the outlook? And I think that's what we're trying to address uh, in a very creative way. So I think creativity and excellence is something that really attracted me.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And that really succinctly um, you have uh, captured the guideposts and perhaps, you know, other people when they're thinking about their careers, if they can have that much clarity, then it would be so helpful, I'm sure. But are there times when you feel like you were lost and um, that you sort of (laughs) lost your direction and how do you sort of guide yourself back to a path that you feel is right?
1: Yeah, there's definitely been times where, i have felt am i on the right path um and i think as as soon as i start second guessing or double guessing i've i realize how unhelpful that process is um that you will never really um have i think like a perfect scenario and and i really believe that every opportunity offers so many different things of personal growth. In that, so you sense, mean you
0: make the best of it?
1: Yeah, and I think almost is a task in discovering the things that are really incredibly helpful and beneficial to you. So mm-hmm. when I went to uh, USC to work there, I, you know, one of the benefits of working there was that uh, tuition free. Um, and I always I wanted an MBA, and I thought about going to other much higher ranked schools but I also thought of the financial benefit of getting the entire program paid for. Yes. Um, and I ended up actually doing two degrees there. I did a, um, I did a master's in business, uh, that not an MBA, but another master's that's focused on fin- finance. Um, yes. And I took a lot of classes that were completely outside my expertise on derivatives, on, you know real estate and you know that that were very highly technical that were great if you're a bond trader you would do great in this classes. so I, it wasn't my natural talent to go there but it really pushed me outside and it taught me a lot about you know the financial crisis and you know what what brought it um, and then I earned my MBA as well and I also had the opportunity to work you know very closely with a lot of very highly influential people because I worked pretty closely with the president's office trustees and, and so on. And I made a lot of really great contacts. So I, so I really these detours, got a lot out of it.
0: So these detours uh, really helped you to broaden out your experience.
1: Yes. And and unbeknownst to me that it was almost like preparation for the future because I had almost like a calling or an interest in really going to New York. I I'd, I'd gone there a lot for work but I had never lived there. I really wanted an IV education and um, I wanted to pursue policy because after the financial crisis, I felt that um, the future will be dictated by a convergence of business savvy, but also policy design. And I wanted to understand what that meant, uh, what that really meant. And the Columbia program is very international. Yes. And uh, And so that's one of the things that a lot of other policy programs don't have. They don't have the security, the expertise um, on security issues and so on, which I feel is also very important. Um, And then the focus on energy. Uh, I think energy is very central to anything that we're going to do in the future and understanding that. A lot better, and it was very clear at the time that uh, most of us, and even experts in energy, did not understand the energy system well enough. They, a lot of them had predicted the end of oil, um, the peak oil, rather that we had extracted as much oil as we were going to do to be able to. And, and then, of course, we had the fracking revolution, and no one no one thinks about um, about do we have enough oil now. We're thinking. Do we even want it and that's the next big question and that's also a question that i think is not as well informed because uh it doesn't take into account how integrated our civilization is with oil and oil byproducts so i feel like that that kind of drew me to columbia and to new york and um it also uh, i was going to school full-time one of my donors from usc had left a, a big investment firm and launched his own private equity firm. So I went into also, I knew him really well and I kind of went in to work on a few projects for him. And that really got me exposed to a lot of private sector bringing all the things that I had kind of worked on and kind of built upon all into one piece. Um, And I also had the great fortune of being mentored by Howard Buffett Jr. Who's a graduate of our Columbia program in policy and a faculty member, and he just he really inspired me to do a lot of different things. He's he's led an incredible life that you know he's worked in the State Department and Department of Defense. He's built programs to help uh, farmers in Afghanistan be more effective, um, and and so on. So it's it's just been it was it was just a great experience. So but yes, I did feel lost at that time. Yeah.
0: So I guess even when um, I was at
1: Columbia I felt lost.
0: <laughs> right, so within like, an experience you might feel or within a stage you might feel lost too. So I guess um you know summing up it's broadening your experience with a lot of different types of interests and pursuing them and then within each stage when you're pursuing them even if there are things that don't seem relevant you still keep looking at it and see what's relevant and um, try to bring that into the scope of things that you're working on and then kind of, you know, then sort of guide yourself back, right? So how are you using all of this now in your startup and what's sort of next for you?
1: Well, um, it, it's amazing because all of those things that I've learned over the years and through all those experiences really comes to into play today. Uh, where every day we're uh, looking at different problems and we're trying to find solutions. Yes. And the problems range from as basic as what, is, what will our website look like? What will the user experience be? Uh, how, what kind of products we're gonna have? And, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking through um, what what was the right business model and we it was very iterative and it was really great and it seemed at times like we were lost actually because we would shipped from one to the other but looking back um, we had to go through all of that thinking to arrive to creating a really compelling solution and the other thing that's really important is having gone through the experience of shifting in business models, I think it's really important in business to not be so tied into a a specific model. One of the things in business that I've learned is you have to be agile because the market changes very rapidly. Uh, Global events happen. uh, And so to stay competitive and to create a real um, thriving business, you really have to um, be relevant. And and you're not going to be relevant if you're set in stone about your business proposition and ideas. And I think this, the seed for that was planted when long ago, because I've looked at many cases, has been an area that I've been naturally interested in in understanding more and more. In business school, we studied all of these companies that did not see the future. And all of a sudden, they found themselves closing up stores, selling inventory, going out of business. And this just continues. Um, But what is really causing that is one of the things that I always think about what's behind that. And what tends to be behind that is um, that people kind of get stuck in their thinking and they don't explore outside of their comfort zone and they're not afraid to, uh, they're maybe too afraid to to do that and and take that risk. Um, And I found the companies that are really successful are always I mean, we think of Apple today and what happens to the iPod. Nobody remembers the iPod now, but yes, um, it, doesn't, it time, was such a popular. So,
0: yes, popular.
1: You're right. Yeah, and it's gone, right? And yeah. and we'll be like that about the iPhone someday, you know, in five <laughs> Very years. Very quickly, there's now there phoneable
0: phones. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know. This is very, very exciting. And we really hope um, you know, the best for your new venture. I, um, I think we want to you know, wrap up now. And hopefully next time when we hear from you, um, you'll have um, more to report in terms of your new ventures. Thank you so Absolutely. much for um, being our guest today.
1: Thanks again. Thank you for the opportunity to visit. Thank you.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Owning the Future. Until next time...